Well, the Lord is good. Amen. This is the day that he's made, and we're supposed to what? Rejoice. Hallelujah. You look like you're glad. Good to see your smiling faces. And uh, we certainly do want to honor our pastors, our wonderful pastors and our staff. We appreciate so much the great leadership that you have blessed, <clears throat> you are blessed with. And uh, my companion for now over 65 years of ministry, I think she ought to stand this morning. This beautiful lady has stood by my side. <laughs> and I also want to say how uh, pleased happy I am to have Barbie and Christy and uh, Sally here today. That's a very special thing for me to uh, have them here and I'm thankful for that. And I also want to recognize Andy. Andy Stan. He's a handsome guy, isn't he? <laughs> Andy Demby has a real heart for the Lord has dedicated his life to the service of the Lord, and we appreciate him so much, and we're glad to have you here this morning, Andy. And um, are there any visitors here today that this is your first time? Raise your hand, wave at me if you would. All right, here's one. Got some over here, all right. Those of you close enough to them, reach over right now and just... Uh, take their hand, introduce yourself to them, and tell them how glad that you are that they're here. We want you to be a stranger here just one time, and uh, we'd love for you to pull up a chair and make yourself at home and enjoy the blessings and the goodness of the Lord. You won't find any more wonderful people anywhere in this valley, in fact, anywhere in the world. And uh, so if you're looking for a good, safe friendly, helpful, beneficial place, pull up a chair and enjoy the goodness of the Lord together with us. I, uh, <clears throat> probably it was 67 years ago, uh, in Bible school I was asked to speak at the general conference as a representative of the student body of the school apostolic college I was attending and I used this text or subject then I don't think that I have used it again but I think of it often and uh, <clears throat> about a year ago something started stirring in my heart and um, I can't explain it really other than I just felt like this took on again a new and a fresh meaning to me but then I struggled with it because if what I am going to present to you today is true I have no doubt in my mind it'll alter and change your life um, it has affected me from the standpoint of I daily try to assess uh, 
where I'm at, what I'm doing, and what this day is going to mean. I would just like to ask you, how, how many of you remember the last time that you heard a message strictly or solely on the soon imminent return of Jesus Christ? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <clears throat> I tried to remember, and I couldn't really truthfully tell you that I could remember the last time I heard a message on the soon coming of Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus is coming again? Yeah. Now, it's easy to say that. But then let me ask, how many of you believe he's coming very soon? If we really believe that, one of the first things I thought of, and I'm having a time trying to work this into my heart and my actions, how about the people living right on my street next door to me? Are they ready for the Lord to come? I've, we've lived there for that address, I guess, for 30 five years and um, had wonderful neighbors they know who we are they know what we what we believe in and so on but I'm not for sure that even half of them are really ready for the Lord to come I want them to be ready um, <clears throat> what I'm going to present to you today is not a sermon I don't even know that I could consider it or call it a Bible study or a teaching. Um, maybe I'll be preaching this morning. But I want to present some facts, situations, and conditions to spark and stimulate your mind to contemplate for yourself your relationship to the Lord in terms of his soon coming, of his return to earth again. It's a little hard to wrap our head around this because this world is all we've really known. Everything that you've experienced, everything that you have had an emotional attachment or response to is basically anchored or connected to this world. But have you stopped to think of what happens when this all ends? Usually we handle it, I think, to a certain extent in this manner. Well, it won't really matter because I won't be here anyway. And so that was one of the things I had to wrestle with in my own heart. Is this impressed and am I uh, wrestling and dealing with this so uh, earnestly in my heart because I know I'm getting close to the end of the journey. I've got a lot of miles on the speedometer and uh, my, my end is not too far away so Jesus is going to come for me before long anyway. But the fact remains, my honest heart feeling is this. It is very possible that I am going to be alive to see the day that Jesus splits the clouds of glory and comes again for those 
who have made themselves ready. I believe that in my heart. <clears throat> now, I'm not setting a date. I'm not giving you an exact time. Jesus said, no man knows the hour and the day. And I suppose I'm cautious about this because I lived through the times that 1988, remember the great thought then was 88 reasons why the Lord is going to come in 1988. <laughs> 1989 come and Jesus hadn't come again. And then some of you remember the stir and all of the uh, excitement over the turn of the century 2000. That was just because it was 2000. I could to a extent buy into that because when you consider the fact from Adam to the law was 2,000 years, from the law to Jesus was 2,000 years, and from Jesus till now is how many? Almost exactly 2,000 years. A thousand years is this with the Lord is one day, one day is a thousand years. And the days of man are six. Jesus created everything in six days and the seventh he rested. If you believe, and I, I'm not going to get into that at all, about the thousand year millennial reign. Thousand years of peace. That makes up the complete seven thousand. You do what you want to with that seven, that other last thousand. But where we're at right now is at the close and the end of the 6,000. <clears throat> you know, those of you that have been around long, know that I never preached on prophecy much. I never felt like I was qualified because I, I guess from my early training days, I heard so many theories. I heard so many different viewpoints on prophecy. I heard so many talk about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I heard all of the theories and everything. I figured there really wasn't too much value in me adding one more to it. <laughs> and so I tried to deal directly to just helping people find Jesus, get strong spiritually, and get ready for his coming whenever that happens. And so I, I just didn't spend that much time in prophecy. And, and uh, so I... To this day, I don't feel that qualified. <clears throat> but if I'm right, it should and will have an impact upon my life and upon yours. I'd like right now for you just to reach over to somebody near you and look right in their eye and say, are you ready? Would you do that, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word and for those things, Lord, that you have given to us to know the times and the seasons. And I ask for the enablement of your spirit, Lord, to convey to this your people what you want them to hear and to know. I pray, O oh God, that you would help me to share this with truth, sincerity, and with your anointing and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you 
what is said in the all three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't deal with the end time. <clears throat> and uh, to save a little time, I won't read it in all three. But uh, let me read it to you from Luke 21, verse 29. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are ready, when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely, surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, no means, pass away. Now Jesus repeated this in those three Gospels. What Jesus said, you can bank on. He knew. Jesus didn't talk pie in the sky. He said, the things that I say to you are true. He says, if it would not so, I would have told you so. He said that in connection with going away to prepare a place for them. And I have stood at the grave of hundreds of people and used this thought of the coming and the return of the Lord Jesus. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Now, <clears throat> what Jesus said here caught my attention, my mind, way back when I was a uh, student studying in the ministry, for the ministry. And that phrase that this generation shall not pass away, this, underline that in your mind and, and in your Bible, this generation, not just any generation, but this generation. I looked it up in the Amplified Bible and it puts it this way. This generation, the people living when these signs and events begin, will not pass away until all these things take place. If I read this right, and I welcome your inquiry or your perspective, but if I read this, Jesus stated that there will be a generation, this, everybody say this, this, this generation, and the Amplified translated it, those living, the people living, when these signs and events begin, will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Now to save some time, but I want, I want you to, I thought about handing out some sheets and I didn't get them done, but uh, you can read these scriptures. And uh, he describes there all the things that are going to happen. When he said this, he was responding to a question of his disciples. And it was a twofold question. 
The first part was because they had taken him to the temple, was showing him all of the beautiful things of the temple and the buildings and the design and, and all of those things. And um, they wanted to know what he thought about the temple and what the future was and how things were going to be regarding the temple. And then they said another thing. And of the end of the age. And of the end of the age. Now that's about as far as it goes, right? That's the end of the age. Not a phase, not a part of. The end of the age. That which we know and understand and experience and live in now. We're in this age, right? We're in this age. And so Jesus answered them. In, in this way, and he gave them all of those signs, and then he made this statement. Well, from a process of an analyzation, you understand that it couldn't all have happened in one generation. There were two things they asked, the temple, what about it, and of the end of the age. And what Jesus said, he said of both, this generation living at that given period of time will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. So what happened? They hung around. They uh, did the work of the Lord. Uh, they did what they could. And in 70 years, the temple was destroyed. Jesus had told them, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. And in 70 years, that temple lay in ruins. I think that's very significant. <clears throat> he had told them this generation would not pass away. So, what I am presenting to you today, and here's my conclusion, I invite your response or your input. How long is a generation? How long is a generation? Well, I believe that the scripture describes that. Psalms chapter 90, verse 10. Write this down so you can read it. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. So I've lived up my allotted time and God has blessed me with good strength, and so I'm, I'm inching up towards the, well, I've passed the 80. <laughs> and so um, I'm on borrowed time right now. But basically, that is the length of the time of a generation, I feel, according to the Scripture. Now, <clears throat> that being the case, that fits in with Jesus' answer to the disciples. What about the temple? He said it's going to be laid waste, not one stone left upon another. And within 70 years, that took place. Okay, but then they said at the end of the world. Well, it wasn't the end of the world or the age. Things continued on for a long time. And lo and behold, here we are. 
a lot more than 70 years. But you see, the prophecy there that was given was like two mountain peaks. As you look at mountains, sometimes you can see two mountain peaks, and it looks like they're real close together until you get up on the first one, and then you look, and here's a whole lot of valley and space in between, and there's the other peak right over there, but there was a lot of space in between. And so we've been doing life all of these years, down through the times. People have come and gone. Governments have come and gone. Trends and ways have come and gone. And here we are. But I'm, pro I'm presenting to you today what I feel like the Lord has stirred in my heart that, that I'm, I'm buying into. And that is that there is a generation that is going to exist upon which all of those signs of the last days are going to culminate. And um, I have a, a thought and idea, and I feel scripturally based, that <clears throat> there could be no greater marker and no greater point of beginning to describe or analyze that generation than to find yourself located within the perimeters of the generation that is experiencing the fulfillment of the greatest promise God made to a people, a nation. It was Abraham and his descendants and a promise and a commission and, and a commitment that was to be for all generations. There isn't any greater prophecy in the scripture Bible, more clear and more specific than that of Abraham as a people, as a nation, and also connected as a land. And God defined the perimeters of that land. And he said, this is yours perpetually. This is yours forever. I give it to you and to your descendants. That was the promise to Abraham. So that's been a long time ago and a lot of things happened. And uh, the, what we would now call the Jews, the Israelites, uh, went into idolatry, backslid, went away from God, turned from the Lord, went their way, and, and the story largely uh, contains the history of his people as they wandered and and God finally kind of uh, really put things to a, a halt in terms of the relationship, and he let them be scattered around the world. Probably there hasn't been any nationality or any people who have suffered more persecution physically, emotionally, and spiritually than the Jewish people. They uh, have been hated from one corner of the earth to the other. Russia lit literally killed and destroyed hundreds of thousands of them. My, I guess you'd say, nationality goes back to Germany. 
I've been there to see the ovens. I've lived there to see the, the facilities in which so many of those Jews were, were treated almost, well, worse than animals and uh, killed and tortured and slain. Hitler and his diabolical darkened heart persecuted them severely and down through the years and the centuries the Jewish people wandered around the world different places being hated and despised. Jesus said you'll be hated of all people for my name's sake. Until a time marker was established and this is kind of the corner piece of what I'm talking to you about today. And it so happens that in our lifetime, 1948, how many were alive in 1948? Wave your hand at me real big. 1948, how many were alive? Wave them good. Because you're a generation of destiny. In 1948, who would have ever believed that a people that had been scattered around the world killed, martyred, hated, despised, would come back to the very place and spot that God had defined to them in the Old Testament, in the perimeters of that physical piece of ground that he said was theirs perpetually for all generations. And they came back to Israel and established their nation. And they came back to the promise that God had made to them. And that, my friend, I think is a huge marker. It is the beginning point of the fulfillment of the last days and the promise to the Jewish people through Abraham that he would bless them with a land and he would bless them as a people. And that's what today is largely the attention of the whole world, the Middle East. And the Jews in the middle of it. And so I say, I think 1948 is the beginning point of a people and a land. And uh, that is where we begin. I think it's a turning point for the world. I'm going to cite to you some of the things that you're aware of, I'm sure of what this generation represents. Now in Luke 21, 29, read to you there the admonition of the Lord when he says to his disciples, consider the fig tree and all the trees. That's Luke 21, 29 to 33. Consider the fig tree. What does the fig tree represent? That's always represented Israel. He says, watch the trees, all the trees, because a lot of trees are going to be involved in this. And there's a lot of trees, a lot of nations involved in this end time now. But he said, the fig tree, consider it. And when you see it putting forth the bud, you know that the season is here. The season is here. That's what I'm saying. I don't set a date. I don't even set a year. I don't set a specific time. I am telling you 
that I believe we are living in the season. This is the harvest season. See these farmers out here right now, they're kind of kicking back and taking a little break, some of them. Some of them got some late fall work to do, but some have already done some farm work. And uh, they couldn't tell you what time next year they're going to pull into the field and harvest that crop that they planted. Some have planted fall wheat. You see those green fields out here, they're growing even when the weather's quite so cold and uh, it still grows. That's winter wheat. Well, he planted it. Uh, he knew that he was going to get a harvest, the good Lord willing. But he couldn't tell you that at a certain day, at a certain time, I'm going to pull into the field and, and harvest that crop. Because there's a lot of weather in between and so on. But he knows that when he sows it, that the reaping time is coming. He knows the season. And we know the season because we see all of the signs around us. Now, 1948 marked a generation destined for a destiny. This terminal generation is like no other. Since 1948, you see things are changing and altering and opinions and ideas are changing so fast now that this generation that, uh, you know, our kids, our grandkids and our great-grandkids were, were still all living. I even got great-great-grandkids, uh, but it's still one life span. <clears throat> but this last generation... Uh, it's changing so fast that they've got different names for it. I don't even know all of them, but I know that there's the gener was it Generation X, I think. There was the Baby Boomers. There was the Millennials. I hear something said about the Snowflakes. I mean, things change about every five or ten years. It's, it's a new phase. It's a new concept. It's a new idea. The same generation. It's changing so fast. Because there's never been a generation in the world like this generation. I say there has never been a generation like this generation. Let me point out a few of those things. Daniel, the 12th chapter and the 4th verse. Prophesies, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the, what? End. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The time of the end. Until the time of the end. And knowledge shall be increased. Not just necessarily exactly 1948, but at approximately that beginning point, and the generation that now has lived from that point, has been a generation that has achieved what no other generation has ever even dreamed of achieving. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, there was an acceleration of things. I'd like to be able to uh, have this so you could have a copy of it. I can, if you're interested, you can have it, but I just put it together quickly. But I want you to remember that since 1948, when Israel became a nation and returned to the land fulfilling the promise of God, here's some things that have happened just from then. Most of them in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but some just a little before that. But here's just some of the things to call your attention to it. 
the ATM machines, which made possible 24-hour banking, barcodes. We don't even give it a thought anymore. That is an absolute, awesome, amazing, astounding thing. You go to the store and buy something, and they check it out with the barcode, and you go try to take that back, and if that barcode doesn't match up, they said, you didn't buy that here. Amazing how they can keep inventory of a store of hundreds of thousands of items, and they can tell you if you bought it there or not. They also stock their inventory by that barcode. All it is is a bunch of little lines, some wider than the others. I don't understand it at all, but it, it creates a whole history. Barcodes, scanners, the internet, Wi-Fi. Ever hear of those things? Those aren't ancient things. Those all happened in your generation. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's right. Fiber optics. Oh, that sounds like old time stuff. No, it isn't. That all was developed in the 70s. Made possible signals of over 100 gigabytes, and I have no idea what that means. <clears throat> then there's the... Cell phone. That wasn't invented before you. That's during your lifetime. This is one of the most things that's ever got into the hands of men and women. For good or for bad. This thing does more than I can even contemplate and, and know how to even try to get it to do. I could ask it a question, I won't take the time to do it. But I, I've, I've done it and it absolutely astounds me and blows me away every time. I can ask it anything I want to and it seems like within two seconds the answer comes back. Boom. Exactly what I wanted to know. Down to the day, down to the dollar. Just this silly phone. That all happened in your generation. There's never been a generation like you to de develop these things like we have. I've, I could spend a lot of time on this, but... Um, Something just amused me the other day that I found out. There's a, an object, I mean, an item now that's similar to the size of this, just a little thicker and a little narrower. It will instantly, automatically translate what you say into any of 30, I think, nine different languages. You could take that with you anywhere in the world where those 39 languages are spoken, and you can talk into it. That person hears you, and it'll hear it in their language. They can talk back to you, and it'll translate their language back into English so that you can understand. How can that just talk into that silly box? And it understands what I say and translates it and says it in another language. You know what I kind of popped into my mind, and I suppose it's a popcorn thought, but wasn't there a big event happened back in the Tower of Babel? Yeah. And God confused the languages. Yes. And now man's attempts through the years in one of his last great accomplishments is to once again understand everybody. Understand everybody in their own language. Well, quite amazing.
The first one of these cell phones that was available was approximately two pounds. Cost $3,995. When we was building this church for the first time, I got a cell phone. It was about this thick, about that wide, and about that tall. I could clip it on my belt. So when I was out working or on the tractor or doing whatever, that Joyce could get a hold of me. Man, that was, that was awesome. That was, I was totally astounded. That thing would ring and I'd pick it up and I could talk to Joyce in the office. And um, that didn't happen generations ago. That happened while I was a middle-aged man. Just think of that. This generation, these things have all transpired. The digital camera. I used to do a lot of photography, took weddings and portraits, and, and um, had some wonderful experiences. I was a stringer photographer for KGW in, in Portland, and um, I know what it is to develop film and uh, go to the dark room, put it in the chemicals and agitate it. And, and uh, I remember one experience that was in McCall I'd taken somebody's wedding, real nice wedding, and, and uh, the only dark room I had was a little tiny bathroom that we had, and my wife called it a shack, I called it a bungalow. <laughs> and, uh, but I got busy and I forgot, and I left that roll of, of 120 film in that developing tank, and this was a wedding, you don't, you don't redo weddings. You, you don't get to do them over. And it was in the developer. Of course, back in then, it was just black and white. You couldn't afford color. And uh, man, I run in the bathroom and shut the door and pull the curtain over it and uh, pour that stuff out. And I threw the hypo in the little uh, developer deal and shook it around. I didn't even use the shortstop and uh, got that stuff stopped and cleared and when I pulled it out it was really overdeveloped but I managed to get them a decent set of their wedding photos that's a that's an antiquated antique ridiculous man you wouldn't do that again for anything in the world these photographers go running around now click 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 Man, to take a wedding of 24 pictures was one of the good packages. 36 was really your, your real high package. Now they'll do two, three, four hundred pictures. Click, 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 click. They don't develop them. They don't mess with them. They just punch the buttons and here they go and do whatever you want to with them. It's absolutely unbelievable. And then... Coronary bypass, that was in the 60s. Stents were first used in 1986. Just a few weeks ago, my wife had to have a stent put on her heart. Thank God she's alive. Thank God she's here. But see, that didn't happen generations ago. That happened in our lifetime that they began to use stents. And then there's laser and robotic surgery. MRIs. How many have had an MRI? Amazing things. It's just beyond your imagination. That is not ancient. That is this generation. DNA. 
testing. Now it's developed to the point that a lot of crimes have been solved, a lot of family roots, research and treatment of genetic diseases are possible. And uh, then the GPS, see, this phone is even a GPS. I can put any answer, I mean any address that I want to in this thing and turn it on, get in my car, and this nice lady, I don't know why, all ladies give the instructions. And she'll tell you, turn right, turn left. You took a wrong turn, make a U-turn immediately. I mean, they talk to you like they're sitting there in the car beside you. It's spooky. But it works. It works. This silly phone I talk into to talk to you and and I sent things to Linda last night uh, for this morning. It's just beyond imagination what this represents. That phone you hold in your hand. It is absolutely astounding, unbelievable. Your forefathers never dreamed of such a thing. This generation shall not pass away. 1984 was the first Mac personal computer. 1984. The Hubble Space Telescope in the 80s now made it possible to peer six billion light years into space. Now wrap your head around that. Do you know what a light year is? That's a lot further than I know how to measure. And probably you too. A light year. And that Hubble telescope peers six billion light years. You know what that says to me? Man now has an instrument to investigate how big God is. When God said, let there be. And there was. And it takes us more than six billion light years to discover it. Wow. God's pretty big. And then I can remember as a, a kid, a man had a team of horses across the road from us. And uh, I liked to go over. He'd, I'd help him feed the horses and he'd take me with him. Sometimes doing a, digging a basement with those Fresnos, you know, by hand. Two horses pulling a Fresno, you dig in the dirt and and uh, then you get it full and he lays it down and it slides, goes where the dirt's piled up and you lift up on it and it catches and it dumps the dirt. And you pull around, take another deal and, and dig a basement. And, uh, and then he'd plow gardens and a lot of times he'd let me drive the horses sometimes when it was coming back or, or it wasn't uh, in danger. And uh, I, as a kid, I drove horses. I can remember in Pendleton, Oregon, in the Student Union Housing uh, Fellowship Hall, of sitting in front of the television and watching man walk for the first time on the moon. I was shook pretty bad because my theory was man will never go to the moon. God created man and put him on earth and created the earth for man. And I had this ecclesiastical theory. Man will never go beyond the perimeters of the earth and he will not 
go to the moon. And I sat there and I watched as the astronaut put his first foot in the dust of the moon. That was just before it came to pastor here. Not centuries ago. That's in my lifetime. This generation. The space shuttle now. And don't forget also it's during this time that the weed eater was invented. <laughs> yeah, you relate to that, don't you? Right. Email, Facebook, microwave popcorn, and roller luggage, disposable contact lenses, and don't forget the multicolor sticky pads. <laughs> this generation is awesome. It's absolutely amazing. But there's another aspect to it. And now we'll, we'll get away from the elation portion and take another view of this generation. And that is the moral deterioration. It is literally and absolutely astounding where we have come to in this generation. I could probably even save some time, but just let me mention this to you, some of these things. Since Roe versus Wade, this is from the Guttmacher Research Institute. In 1973, everybody say 1973. 63. 61 million babies have been aborted. Kind of hard to wrap that figure around your head, isn't it? I don't even know how to visualize 61 billion. But we could kind of do it this way. That's more than three times the population of New York City. That's over one and a half the population of California. Since Roe versus Wade, babies have been torn, some chemically, other various ways, taken from the womb and destroyed. It's odd to me how that, that's so permissible and even funded by what would want to be considered reasonable and decent people but then turn around and somebody that has an accident, causes an accident, and a pregnant woman is pregnant and the fetus dies, you can be charged with manslaughter. Kind of peculiar, isn't it? A little bit twisted. Why is it that a fetus, a baby in the womb that is killed from an accident can cause someone to be charged with manslaughter? But hundreds and hundreds and thousands and now millions have been taken and destroyed from the womb under what seems to be a right or a privilege. The population of Idaho, to get a little closer grasp on this, is 1,650,000. 
That means that since Roe versus Wade, 36 times the population of Idaho has been aborted. Look at all the people in Idaho. Multiply it by 36 times. And that's how many times an innocent baby in the womb has been destroyed by some manner of man's hands and actions. That's part of this generation. This generation has attacked God's original institution of marriage. And I say this in all sincerity. To me, one of the most astounding things that man would consider doing is redefining for God what man's plans and purposes were. God created man and a woman that they be as husband and wife. He didn't create two men. He didn't create two women. A man and a woman was to form the home that God would bless. It's not just tolerated, but now we're expected to celebrate and, and reward and compliment that. Puts a lot of responsibility on us who want to be faithful and, and strong in the things of the Lord. It's an astounding thing to me that one of the presidential candidates, if he should win, would have a male companion in the White House. Can you believe where we're at as a nation? And then Romans, the first chapter, and I'm running out of time. And so let me try to go through this quickly. But it says God gave them up. God gave them over. And uh, talked about practices that were unseemingly and uh, so wrong and, and so, so ungodly. And... Um, this generation has taken it to a, a new level. Until now, we're having five, six, and seven-year-old kids in school, public school, being told by their teachers that you can choose whether you want to be a boy or a girl. Can you imagine the inhumanness, the audacity of attacking the innocence of a little boy and a little girl to plant in their mind. They can be what they want to be, a boy or a girl, irregardless. The scripture says that he determined your sex in the womb. The Bible says that. And so uh, these things, uh, then the Bible says one of the greater parts of the judgment is that they not only do these things, but take pleasure in them that do them. We're expected now to celebrate these things with parades and demonstrations. It really crushed and broke my heart when I saw the pictures on TV of the White House lit up like a rainbow for what it represented. This generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. It's not all bad. There's good. 
Evangelism is being accomplished around the world today in new ways, new methods, and new means. New ways of communicating one of the instruments I just told you about of the language barrier, that can be broken down. Young people are catching a vision. We've had a number of our young people go on mission trips. Some of them right over here have been various places in the world. And uh, Julie and her family. Uh, Julie, she's just getting up there now. And her daughters have served in YWAM and uh, ministered and, and uh, blessed people in various parts of the world. This generation has a vision and a desire to evangelize. And now let me take the time because I don't know that I'd get a, another chance here soon. So just let me wrap this up quickly. The political picture. The world's in a lot of trouble and stress in this day. And uh, we've just read the last couple of days of England and the big transition that they're going through. And uh, it's more than just political. I believe that there's a spiritual battle going on. It's a spiritual warfare and the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, it's astounding to me. I, I can't hit, wrap my head around it. Uh, of the fact that in our country in America, we have political aspirants that would like to be the president of our country that are openly and boldly and brazenly advocating communism and socialism. Andy, what do you think about that? Your family grew up under that system. They made their way here under fear. They escaped out of it. Had to run for their life. Hide for three days and nights to keep from being detected. They wanted to get to freedom. But now we have those espousing the same type, basically, of government form running for the president of our country. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. So let's go back to what Jesus said. Consider the trees and the fig tree. And so here we are in a time when things are... Do we have the slide? Uh, I want to show you something here if I can. There's some things happening that it'd be good for us to be aware of. Damascus, you, you know, you're at about Damascus. It's in the news a lot. Uh, it's under siege and, and uh, for 5,000 years Damascus has stood as one of the oldest and most prosperous cities in the world. And uh, now it's almost turned into complete ruins. In Ezekiel 38, the scripture says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, bring you out with your army, Persia, Cush, and Put. will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also, Gomer, with all its troops, and Beth to Gorma. Now, this is what the Lord said in Ezekiel. Right now, in this generation, in the last three years, this alliance has already been formed. Russia, Iran, Sudan, Libya, and Turkey have all joined their forces. Here recently, our president made a move that was 
hard for many of us to understand. He pulls out of Syria and uh, gets our troops out of the way because Turkey is going to move in. Turkey is aligned with Syria. And uh, these are things that are lining up. The first time in history, history, not the first time the last few years, but the last first time in history, Gog and Magog has made her move that the Lord prophesied here back in Ezekiel. In this generation, it has happened. And now they have come down from the north, and for the first time, Gog and Magog, joining with these other nations in an alliance, have come down and are positioned adjacent to Israel. This, my friend, sets up the scenario for the Battle of Armageddon. This generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Just three years ago, Turkey was a strong NATO, NATO ally. Now, after the failed coup, they have turned and they have joined forces with Russia and they have abandoned NATO, made NATO pull out of the bases that were there. And this generation's experience the Middle East lining up for the final battle of the age, the battle of Armageddon. And so I think it's quite the day we're living in. It's amazing too that Israel living in the country, I was gonna point these countries out to you. If you can see up here, that's Magog up here is Russia. And this over here is, is Turkey. And uh, uh, here's Kush. Here's Libya. And uh, up there is uh, Turkey, up there. That's happened. That is already in place. You say, oh, we've got not a lot of time. I don't know that we do. Because let me tell you a scenario that has been presented. You ever heard of the neutron bomb? A lot of speculation on that. Does it exist? Is it really available? They claim that Russia claims to have it. The neutron bomb has exploded in the air and would totally obliterate our electrical grid. Now, I don't understand that stuff. I don't have any expertise. I, I'm, I'm a, a beginner in, in that area, but that's what I understand is available. If that happens, that could happen instantly. The United States would be neutralized because our systems would be inoperable without electricity. You wouldn't have any electricity in your home. There wouldn't be anything runs that uses electricity. That could be instantaneously. That would eliminate us from helping Israel. And so they could march in and move in and, and uh, do war with Israel which the Bible, if I understand it, declares that a third of Israel will be slain. It'll be a terrible battle. And so these things are all happening in this generation. Maybe the president got our troops out of the way because the prophecy in Jeremiah says Damascus will be consumed. 
And it just might be that our troops were got out of the way before that horrible battle comes and Damascus is destroyed. I'd like for you to stand with me. I presented to you some good, exciting, and some sad, and some bad. And uh, the reality is, this is our generation, this generation. And it says, then the sign, Matthew 24, of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. We've got a great future to look forward to. Hallelujah. Are you glad you're born again? Are you glad you're a child of God? These are the end times. This generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Most of us, maybe all of us, may be alive when Jesus splits the clouds of glory and comes to take us to be with him. The message is, be ready. Be ready. Get ready. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, O oh God, for your mission that you came, gave yourself for us at Calvary to redeem us and give us a chance at life, everlasting life. And now I pray, God, that you would speak and touch the hearts of your people today that we would be ready for your soon return. Thank you, Lord. And while you keep your eyes closed just for a moment, as I've spoken some morning, and maybe somebody here has searched into your heart, and you have a question as to your readiness. You just don't know for sure what would be the consequence if Jesus came before tomorrow but you want to be ready you want your heart to be right and clean and clear before God and the Lord has spoken to you this morning and you'd raise your hand and say pastor I would like to really commit my life totally and wholly to the Lord that I would be ready I, I want to be ready for his return are there those here today Nothing would make me feel more happy and glad. Praise God. Bless you. Bless those of you that are raising your hands right now. God loves an honest heart. A broken spirit and contrite spirit, he will not turn away. He will not turn away from you if you turn to him. Praise God. I think it'd be good if, if we just a minute here before we leave Th those of you that would like to really be ready for the Lord to come would you just come stand in the front here real quickly and we'll pray before we leave praise God all of you that want to be ready 
you want things to be right in your heart and, and you're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. That doesn't mean you're a sinner. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just says in your heart, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds that I'd be ready to go. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Praise God. The five wise and the five foolish did their thing. The foolish ones didn't take oil in their vessels. Maybe there's those here today that need oil in your vessel. You got a lamp, you've, you've tried to make a showing, but you don't have any oil in your vessel today. And you'd like for God to fill you with his spirit. Hallelujah. I just want God's presence to fall in this congregation right now. I'd like for this auditorium to be filled with the anointing and the glory of the Lord. For God to fill hungry hearts with his spirit. If that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Praise God. So right now, why don't you just lift your hand to the Lord. Ask Jesus to fill you with the oil of his spirit. Hallelujah. Ask Jesus to fill you with the power of his spirit right now. The prayer team's going to come. Those of you that would like to have some help in your spiritual walk, uh, come up here with those that on the prayer team and they'll help you find your peace with God and your experience with the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Are you expecting the Lord to come soon? Amen. Let's be ready when the Lord comes. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May he bless your home with happiness, health, and all good things. May he bless your work. May he bless your play. May he bless your endeavors. May he give you his wisdom, his guidance, and his strength. And may you walk with him so that you're ready when he comes. And may the face and glory of the Lord be upon you all this week. Hallelujah. Come on up and pray if you'd like. If you must go, go with God. Go do what's right. Be ready for the Lord when he comes. Amen. <laughs>